0: As the kids have headed out, I want to invite you to grab your Bible or the Bible that's there in the pew or if you're techie, the Bible app on your phone and open up to the book of Proverbs. We're a few weeks into the summer and as you know, if you've been with us, we have used the summer as sort of a shared furlough from what we've been doing throughout the year, which is engaging a book known as The Story. And The Story, if you're not familiar with it, is a narrative arrangement of the stories of the Old and New Testament. We finished the first half prior to summer starting. We finished the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, and we've taken a little bit of a break and we're gonna resume in the fall. But that break doesn't mean that we're pulling out away from the scriptures. Um, Our summer reading list during these months includes some books of the Bible that are not mentioned in the story. Those would be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and the Book of Job. And these books together form a part of the Bible in the library called the Wisdom Literature. And they're not in the story because if you're familiar at all with them, and you hopefully will be by the end of the summer, they're less narrative. Uh, They're more poetic and pithy. Um, These books are less about events, historical events happening or prophecies being declared as much as they are about revealing divine truth about how to live well. They're much more general in their focus. They're about how to make the most of relationships and the responsibilities of everyday life. And over the last three weeks, as we sort of started our summer reading list, we finished the looking at a brief look at the book of Psalms. And today, we're going to begin looking at the book of Proverbs. And this book is interesting because more than any other book in the scriptures, I think, this is one that is singularly focused on just one subject, one theme. And that book, uh, that theme of the book of Proverbs is wisdom. Wisdom is what we're going to talk about today. But before we get there, let's step back and ask ourselves, what's a proverb? This is a book of Proverbs. What's a proverb? A proverb is a saying. It's a short, concise statement that makes a point that shares again an insight, a truth about everyday life. And if you haven't ever read the book of Proverbs or dipped your toe in those waters, several authors have contributed to this collection of wise wise sayings, but generally it's held to believe that King Solomon is the primary author of most of these Proverbs that we have. And if you remember our time in the story, in the Old Testament, Solomon became king as a young man. Later, he would show his faults, but early in his reign, you might remember that Solomon started strong. When the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Solomon was given the opportunity to write his own golden ticket from the Lord. He could ask for anything, and the Lord would give it to him. And Solomon, you might remember, asked for wisdom. And God answered that prayer in abundance And what we have here contained in the book of Proverbs is the written record of the truths and insights given to Solomon by God and others in matters such as work, friendships, parenting, relationships, money, communication, and education. This is just, again, filled with wisdom, insights into everyday, ordinary life. In fact, a popular way to read this book, to read the book of Proverbs that I recommend, by the way, is to read one chapter for each day of the month. And this will work out nicely because there's 31 chapters in the book. So that's something you might try sometime. This is a hard sermon for me to preach because this is a, a a dense book that really merits several weeks but I'm going to basically give it all to you in one sermon. And in order to do that, I could pick and choose different proverbs and talk about them that could get kind of dense. Instead, I'm just going to kind of give you an overview of the whole book. I'm going to take you to the opening verses of the book of Proverbs because Solomon has done a favor to me and to us in that when we open up the first chapter of Proverbs, he has really given us a prologue for the rest of the book. The verses that we're going to look at in just a second, in many ways, enable us to kind of get our orientation for all the specific wisdom that will follow. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to read the first seven verses of chapter one, and in that, we're going to see, just in those first seven verses, some answers to some pretty introductory questions like, what is wisdom? Why do we need wisdom? Who is wisdom for and how do we attain wisdom? With those questions in the back of our minds, let's read Solomon's introduction to the book of Proverbs, starting in chapter one. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, we're going to look at these questions in these seven verses. What is wisdom? Why do we need wisdom? Who is wisdom for? And how do we attain wisdom? What is wisdom? The last verse that we just read gives us a clear understanding of both the definition and origin of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, your translation reads. The word that's there in Hebrew is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To be wise is to fear the Lord, Solomon writes. And this declaration that he makes in the first chapter is repeated throughout the book of Proverbs. You'll see it come up again and again and again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to find wisdom in our lives, then we have to begin where wisdom begins. And Solomon declares, wisdom begins with a lifestyle that fears the Lord. Now, we've got a wide variety of people in this room. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book of Proverbs. Some of you may have read it, studied it before. Some of you, it may be the first time. Especially for those of you who it may be the first time, the fact that this is the core, this is the theme verse of this book might be a little off-putting to you. It's probably when you ask, well, what's wisdom? Not the answer that you would have expected or hoped for. And there are many reasons why I say this, but the primary reason is the fact that Solomon equates wisdom Gaining wisdom, finding wisdom, the origin of wisdom with the fear of the Lord. It's the word fear that can be off-putting for some of us because many of us become hesitant when we see or hear the word fear, especially when it's associated with God. You know, we, we've had our, our fill of that and we don't like that, those two things being connected. And, and part of what makes this a little bit maybe uncomfortable that this is the thematic verse of this book is that we have this association with fear that is pretty negative, I mean, when we use the word fear, what we are often talking about is being afraid, right? And when you're afraid of something, you're, you're, when you're afraid, that's an orientation that makes you hesitant. When you're afraid, you're, not, you're, you're hesitant, you're resistant to going forward. You're looking to go backwards, Right? Our reaction to fear is so bad in our culture, it's so negative, in fact, that word, that we've actually started to come up with slogans sort of to push back against it, against fear. You know, we have stuff like, have no fear, or fear is a liar. And so to see this word associated as being the, where wisdom comes from, fear of the Lord can be kind of disconcerting. But what we need to understand is the biblical association of fear especially in relationship to the Lord, is not about being afraid. It's not about being resistant. When the Bible, when Solomon says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, he's not talking about being afraid or resistant as much as he's talking about this idea of recognition and respect. Fear as recognition and respect. Let me tease out what, this, what this, this distinction by way of an example. Here we are living in Huntington Beach and especially in the summer months, we are blessed to have quick and direct access to the ocean. That ocean, the Pacific, is beautiful. It's wondrous. I love sometimes just to go down and look at it, to listen to the ocean, just to take it in. And the Pacific Ocean that is right in our backyard is beautiful and wondrous. But here's the thing, we should fear it. And when I say that, that we should fear it, I'm not suggesting we should stay away from it or avoid going into the Pacific Ocean. No, I mean, if you actually ever go down to the the beach, if you actually ever get your feet on the sand, the the call of those waters can be compelling. You know, it just gets to you. and, And we should answer it. We should enjoy the ocean with our bodies or by boat. But enjoying the ocean should also come with appropriate respect and caution. Because if you've ever been in the ocean, you know the waves can get high. You know that sometimes the tide can have some pull, right? The waters can get rough. If you go down to Huntington Beach to the beach and you get into the ocean and you think you're, you're, you're so young, you're so strong, that you're invincible, that you're able to withstand anything those waters can throw at you, that's foolish, right? You go in just acting like that towards this incredible ocean that we have and you're gonna end up being tossed around like a rag doll if you're not careful. And if you're really not careful, if you really don't have respect and recognition of the ocean, you could end up dead. The sea can consume you. We should fear the ocean. And that means that we should respect and recognize the power and depths the ocean has and act accordingly. That idea is what Solomon is getting at. In a similar fashion, but to a much greater degree, Proverbs is telling us the beginning of wisdom is to recognize and respect God to recognize and respect who God is, to recognize and respect what God does, to recognize and respect how God works in this world. We need not be afraid of the Lord for our God is with us and for us, but we need to recognize and remember that our God is wholly other, perfect, timeless, greater than us. We are made in the image of God, yes, but we must never mistake to believe that we are God. To recognize and respect, to fear the Lord is to realize we've been given revelation. We've been given the mind and heart of the Lord, but recognizing and respecting what we have been given is also to remember and honor the limits and boundaries of our knowledge of God and from God. And what I mean is we need to sometimes step back and realize we only know what we have been given. Beyond the revelation of God beyond the revelation of God through the observation and study of creation, beyond the revelation of God that we have through the reading and studying of the Bible, there is a great unknown. We come up against it in our lives. There are questions for which we do not have answers. There are things we do not understand. And in the midst of those questions, in the midst of those things we don't understand, if we try to fill in those blanks by ourselves, we run into trouble. We run into trouble because, as God Himself declares again and again, His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. True wisdom is to fear the Lord. True wisdom, in other words, begins with awe. Fear of the Lord isn't about paralyzing terror, fear of the Lord is about absolute worship. Wisdom is recognizing it is God alone who created the universe. It is God alone who created this planet. This is God alone who created each and every one of us fearfully and wonderfully. And therefore, this God is the Lord of our lives. Wisdom is conveying this respect, this recognition of our God, reflecting that he is Lord in and through everything we think, we say, we do. In other words, Solomon is saying to be wise is to reflect a lifestyle that proclaims, a lifestyle that proclaims that God's ways are better than our ways. That God's sense of justice is better than our opinions about what is right and what is wrong. That God's, God our Father's standards of mercy eclipse the limits of our willingness to forgive. That the unconditional nature of God our Father's love for us is what defines and drives our love for each other. This distinction is subtle, but it's important because apart from the Bible, if we were to ask the question, What is wisdom? Apart from the Bible, a generic definition of wisdom would be having an awareness and insight into oneself. Wisdom would be having an awareness and insight into oneself and the reality that surrounds us. That's how we, we, we define wisdom apart from the Bible. But don't miss the edge to what Solomon says here. A biblical definition declares there is no wisdom. Don't kid yourself. There is no wisdom. There is no full awareness of reality. You don't have true insight into yourself apart from being in relationship with, apart from deference to this God. You know, we have lots of people in our lives who are very, very smart. But being smart is not the same thing as being wise. Someone may have, you may have, a tremendous mind to understand the world. And as an individual, as a person, you may be smart. But without fearing the Lord, recognizing and respecting who God is in this world, in your life, you will not be wise. There's a difference between being smart And being wise. And that leads us, we've talked about what is wisdom, to our second observation here of why we need wisdom. Or, if you will, where does wisdom take us? Verse 2 says Solomon writes, This book was compiled for gaining wisdom and instruction. The Hebrew word for instruction that's used here has such a broader meaning than our typical English word. When in English, when I use the word instruction, I don't know about you, I hear instruction and I think immediately of a lecture, right? Someone standing in front of a class or a congregation and giving information. But when you read the Bible over and over again, not just specifically here in Proverbs, but throughout the scriptures, wisdom is not primarily about getting or having information. Wisdom is not primarily about getting or having information. It's not about what we call knowledge. It's not about intellectual aptitude, what we know. Wisdom in the Bible derives from the application of the information we have been given, the direction of our intellectual aptitude, how we apply what we know. In other words, if you know the right thing, you're intelligent. But if you know the right thing and choose to, do it, you're wise. Lots of people know the right thing and are very intelligent, but not everyone knows the right thing and chooses to do it. That's wisdom. Biblical wisdom then is about applied knowledge. It's about our reflection upon what we perceive, the information we get. It's about the connections we make in our relationships. It's about how we express what we understand what, what we, how we take in the information and apply it in our lives, but it's also about being real about what we don't know or understand. The Hebrew word, again, for instruction really bears out what I'm trying to, to, to sh- share with you here as besides being about getting information, the original Hebrew word that's used here has this idea not just of getting information, but it also has this idea of discipline. This idea that gaining wisdom involves receiving correction. The expectation, not because, not because you're bad, but that wisdom is about expecting. What, where does wisdom take us? Why do we need wisdom? This idea that we constantly need to be corrected, and we need to be corrected and shaped in how we think and how we speak and how we act. And again, this connotation of discipline, because that's a bad word for many of us, this connotation of correction is not for the sake of punishment. It's not what it's about. It's for the purpose of education, God our Father, in other words, doesn't discipline us to rub our nose in it. You screwed up again, you moron. No, God our Father doesn't discipline us for the sake of rubbing our nose in it. He corrects us in order to teach us what we are doing wrong, in order that we might live right. And when I say live right, I don't mean live right just in the sense of pleasing him, making God happy. When I say he wants us to be taught to live right, I mean right with the aim. God's aim is for us to experience life's fullest pleasure and contentment for ourselves. God's desire is for us to share that joy and peace with each other. So why do we need wisdom? We need wisdom because we need constant correction. We need constant instruction. We need to gain perspective. We need to experience by God's hand, the way things ought to be, the way God designed them to be for us. In other words, we need to grow, we need wisdom to grow into the fullest version of ourselves. Wisdom brings us into maturity, into becoming the best reflection of the Lord we can be. Another way of putting this is wisdom is guidance. And verse 3 here, Solomon outlines the particular guidance that we receive from wisdom. We receive guidance for doing what is right, what is just, and what is fair. Why do we need wisdom? Because we need correction, we need guidance in terms of understanding and living out what is right, what is just, and what is fair. To to help this further sink in, let me use the analogy of parenting. And it's actually a really appropriate analogy because if you read a little bit further beyond where we ended today, what you'll notice is the very first, I think nine or 10 chapters of Proverbs, Solomon frames it exactly that way. He writes it as a parent, a father, offering counsel to his child, his son. So let's further understand why we need wisdom and and where wisdom takes us in light of parenting. Balanced, healthy, and good parenting is not, on the one hand, about letting your children do whatever they want and then just figuring things out on their own. That is not balanced, healthy, or good parenting. Because without guidance, children can learn bad habits. And even more than that, they can find ways of doing things that may accomplish the task at hand. It gets the job done, right? But it ends up costing them or others unnecessary pain, delay, or frustration. Good parenting isn't just about letting your children just kind of do whatever they want and figure it out. Good parenting is about guidance, instruction, correction. But let me also kind of keep going here. Good parenting isn't about controlling your children either. Good parenting isn't about constantly telling your children they're wrong, and throwing the book at them when they mess up. Though for many of us, this is what we think parenting is, because this is how we were parented. You're wrong, I'm right, let me tell you why you're wrong, and when you mess up, man, let me let you know. That's not good, balanced, and healthy parenting. Proper parenting, as we see reflected through the wisdom of Proverbs, is using discipline correction to teach our children why what they have done is wrong and using that correction to train them to recognize for themselves to reflect and discern what is right and how to do it that's why the most lazy parenting of all and we all pull it out there is to say do it because i'm the parent and i said so and when our kid says why i don't have to tell you why just do it man that is effective that gets the job done but you are not parenting your child You are putting them off. And again, if we use this analogy and we look at our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Father doesn't just tell us we're broken, we're sinners. Yeah, you guys stink. No, God our Father doesn't just tell us we're broken and we're sinners. He doesn't rub our nose in it like I said before. The Lord teaches us what is right, right? That's what the Scriptures are all about. The Lord teaches us what is right and then disciplines us in order to help us perceive where in our lives we are wrong. And God's correction in our lives is never arbitrary. It's not just strictly punitive. To get a pound of flesh, God's correction is always focused on bettering us, training us to recognize, to reflect and learn from our errors. We gain wisdom when we submit and learn from such instruction, from such discipline and correction. The wise person is the person who ends each day, who looks back on each experience and asks through prayer and reflection, what did the Lord teach me? What have I learned? We just took, some of us, a great pilgrimage to Israel. Saw some cool stuff, had a great time. But one of the things I emphasized on that pilgrimage for myself and for everyone else is we need to step back in the midst of everything that we're, being, we're experiencing, we're taking in and saying, what is the Lord teaching us? What is the Lord teaching? trying to help us to learn. When's the last time in your prayer life that was a part of your daily routine? When's the last time when you conversed with God that was even a question that was on your heart? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, what am I supposed to be learning here? Our prayer life so often is us telling God, dictating to God. But prayer is supposed to be about listening and letting God teach us, correct and instruct us. So we've talked about what is wisdom. We've talked about why we need wisdom. Now let's talk about who needs wisdom. Verse 4 lets us know that wisdom is needed, as Solomon puts it, for those who are simple and the young. For those who are simple and the young. For those who are simple. If that word strikes you as a little odd, the simple, another word we might insert here is for those who are naive or gullible. The simple, the naive or gullible need wisdom because the simple are those who lack judgment or discernment because they don't have any experience. They don't know any better. They haven't experienced anything. And Solomon, you'll notice, makes this association between the simple and youth because in many ways to be young is to be on the threshold of maturity. It's to be in that place where you're still growing up. The younger we are, right, the more we find ourselves facing those first-time experiences or encounters where what we think we know is tested against what actually happens. When we're young, there are certain milestones we celebrate, right, like getting your driver's license or graduating from high school, applying for your first job that mark our gradual advancement into daily adult life. Now... It's easy to read what Solomon says here that wisdom is for the simple and the young and to go, yeah, that's right. That's all you young people. You listen up. You should read this book. That's right. Pay attention. But if you really can't read it carefully, what we see is we don't have to be young to be simple. We don't have to be young to be naive or gullible. We can all, regardless of our age, be naive or simple in our approach to the world in the way we engage reality. Think about it, anytime we find ourselves, I don't care how old you are, anytime you find yourself in that moment of decision, right, where you're in that place where what we think we know is about to measure up with what we're gonna experience, we simply need wisdom, right? If you're just graduating from college and you've never had a job before, you simply need wisdom. If you've never been married before, and you're just, you've just become a newlywed, you simply need wisdom, right? If you've never been a parent before, and your first child is on the way, trust me, you simply need wisdom. Now we all are agreeing with that, shaking our heads and nodding, but at the same time we're all like, especially those of us who've got some years on us, are like, yeah, yeah, that's true, but the older we get, the more we've seen and we've encountered, the more we've lived through. You know, like they say, with age comes experience. For those of us who are young, we're looking forward to be able to brag. Well, I've seen some stuff. I know some stuff. I've been around. I've been, yeah, I've done that, right? With age comes experience. That's what we tell ourselves. And yet, the book of Proverbs is quick to remind us, no matter how old we are, we always need wisdom. Don't miss verse 5, where Solomon says, Let the wise... Listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. In other words, experience by itself doesn't always equal wisdom. Lots of us have had experience, but that doesn't mean we've learned anything from it. (laughs) Right? Experience doesn't always equal wisdom. What's being underscored here is our ongoing dependence upon the Lord, our ongoing need for wisdom. And to really bring it home in verse 7, Solomon lays out this contrast to the wise person. And it's, he, it's a characterization that comes up throughout the book. Contrasting with the wise person who continues to depend upon the Lord is the stereotype of the fool. And you notice in verse 7 what defines a fool. It's interesting. A fool not only fails to attain wisdom, it's not just that a fool fails to attain wisdom. A fool is defined by openly rejecting wisdom. Fools, the book of Proverbs will tease out, choose to remain simple. Hear that, they choose to remain simple. It's one thing to be a child and to not know any better. A fool chooses to be intentionally naive and ignorant. Fools, Proverbs will say, choose not to receive instruction. They ignore the truth the Lord puts right in front of them. They lack discernment because they prefer not to know better, not to learn, And fools do this because they're wise in their own eyes, right? A fool is wise in their own eyes. The foolish, as the saying goes, are often in error but never in doubt, right? (laughs) Fools reject correction, and fools do so because they don't think they need it. Fools believe they're wise enough. How they think, how they live works for them, so it's all good. It's all good. And as a result, Proverbs will tease out, fools are inattentive to everyone else around them. It doesn't matter how their choices and behaviors affect others. Even if their foolishness is hurting themselves, fools will not change their ways. Instead, you'll know a fool because a fool will rationalize their decisions and actions. You'll know a fool because they'll blame others. You'll know a fool because they'll automatically assume every criticism is unjust or perhaps even irrelevant. And based upon this description in Proverbs of a fool, this characterization, I think we can safely say we live in a world of fools. We live in a world of fools. And the scary thing is, you and I, and I say you, you and I, we have a tendency to follow the fools rather than the Lord. And that's not really a wise decision. Because Proverbs makes clear again and again, it doesn't just say don't be a fool, it also says don't follow a fool, because the only thing you're gonna get when you follow a fool is folly. And that folly is not gonna better you, it's gonna weaken you. It's gonna bring you down. And yet, how many of us are attracted to foolishness? How many of us, let's be honest, worship it? How many of us consider that to be endearing? And Proverbs says, don't be fooled by foolishness. This is that point in the sermon where I ask you, because I asked myself as I was writing it, where am I? <laughs> where am I today? Am I, what, where am I right now in my relationship with the Lord? Am I playing the fool? Or am I wising up? That's a hard question. That's a look in the mirror question. Am I playing the fool right now in my life or am I wising up? Because the thing is, again and again, the book of Proverbs, just like the rest of wisdom literature, just like the rest of all of Scripture, continues to present, much to our chagrin, much to our frustration, life as a choice between two paths. Man, we want more, but there's only two. In the book of Proverbs, there's the way of wisdom and there's the way of folly. Both of them make their claims on this world. And we choose the path we will follow. And the choice we make, the path we choose, is what we believe. We can say everything we want about what we believe, but the path that we actually walk on reflects which path we believe will ultimately bring us joy and fulfillment. People are foolish because they believe foolishly that folly will give them joy, peace, and contentment. You know, you read this and you you just, you ask yourself, it just seems so obvious. Why would anyone choose to be a fool? And the thing is, the subtlety of foolishness is that Proverbs makes clear is, you know, we may not even realize it, but the minute we choose to be a fool is the minute we fail to choose the Lord. It's that simple. The minute we choose to be a fool is the minute we choose, fail to choose the Lord, We choose to be foolish when we choose not to pursue wisdom. And really, in the end, that's the greatest folly of a fool. For in despising wisdom, a fool is rejecting God. A fool is sawing off the branch that supports them. In rejecting God, fools cut themselves off from the source of all blessing, from the final good, their maker and savior. It's not that God cuts them off. They cut themselves off from the one in whom our restless hearts find rest. So let's not be fools. So that brings us to the last question. How do we attain wisdom? We know what wisdom is. We know what wisdom leads us. We know we all need wisdom. How do we attain it? And the key is, if we've missed it this far, the key to attaining wisdom is being in relationship with God. It's living in dependence upon the Lord. In this sense, attaining wisdom is the challenge of living between two tensions. On the one hand, in order to gain wisdom, we must not be childish. Childish. And what I mean is, in order to gain wisdom, we are not to be purposefully immature. Life is about learning. Living life is about growth. We cannot remain stunted. We cannot remain perpetually stuck in a moment rather than advancing forward. And many of us choose to remain comfortably stuck. Many of us choose to only advance only so far, but living life is about constantly learning and growing and maturing. Wisdom is like a muscle. It has to be exercised regularly. Maturity is not just taking up space. Maturity is increasing and inhabiting the fullness of our potential of our identity and destiny in Christ. That's the goal of being alive, of being alive. The goal of being alive is not to graduate from high school. The goal of being alive is not to graduate from college. The goal of being alive is not to get married. The goal of being alive is not to have kids. The goal of being alive is not to raise them and then have grandchildren. The goal is not to own your own home, to have two cars, to go on a vacation and retire! Those are all experiences we may have. The goal, why we have been put on this earth, why you have breath in your lungs by the grace of God is for you to grow into the fullness of your identity and destiny in Christ. That's the goal. Don't misunderstand the experiences for the goal. On the one hand, we have to not be childish in order to attain wisdom. We need to live in fear of the Lord, but not in fear of the future. We have to keep going. But the other side, attaining wisdom, while we aren't to remain childish, attaining wisdom is about remaining childlike. And that means regardless of our age, we need to be teachable. I've said this before, but it bears repeating in light of the book of Proverbs. Biblically, there is no such thing as a grown-up. Some of us who are sitting here who are grown-ups think we've arrived. Wrong. And those of us who are young, that's all we're banking on. I can't wait to grow up. Biblically, there's no such thing as a grown-up. There is no point biblically where it's defined that suddenly you've done it. You've made it. You're done. You've arrived. Here's your certificate. You're a grown-up. No, biblically, you are continuing to grow up, to mature in Christ. You will not have arrived until Jesus brings you home or comes back. And there are people in this room that need to hear that because some of you think you've arrived and you ain't got anywhere yet. You are just aiming way too small. No matter how many years we've logged on this planet, no matter how much experience we have under our belt, and some of you have got a lot of experience, we've still got a lot to learn from our father. Being older, in other words, doesn't necessarily mean getting wiser. We look around and we can all say lots of adults act childishly. And we can also say that lots of older people have forgotten or forsaken being childlike. When I say that there's no such thing biblically as a grown up, isn't it interesting that Jesus refers to everyone, all of us, regardless of our age, as children of God? To attain wisdom, we cannot remain childish, but to attain wisdom, we must remain childlike. Not being childish, always being childlike, that's the posture for gaining wisdom. It's the willingness to be changed. It's the willingness to submit to the Lord's discipline to accept his correction in our lives. How do we attain wisdom? The simple answer is this, we attain wisdom by never perceiving we have enough of it. The more wisdom you have received, the more you realize how much more wisdom you need. You realize how much more you need the Lord. And so beloved, I ask you again, what's your relationship with the Lord like these days? Are you being foolish? Are you being foolish? Are you still getting up each day trying to trade favors with God? Trying to trade favors with God. You know know what, Lord? You scratch my back and I'll worship yours. Is your pursuit of wisdom, is your relationship with God about getting what you want? Is that how you would define it? Wisdom is when God does what I want. Is your relationship about getting what you want? Is wisdom what you tell the Lord he should do? Or does your pursuit of wisdom, does your pursuit for truth, does your pursuit for insights and answers in your daily life derive from being in awe of the character, the purpose, and the power of the Lord? Does your pursuit of truth, insight, and answers derive from learning and receiving maybe not the answers you wanted, but the truth and insight you need to thrive as he intended? If we reflect on this, I want to share with you that I I can personally consider the book of Proverbs to be one of the misquoted books in the Bible, one of the most misquoted books in the Bible. I I don't know, maybe you've done this and I'm not calling anybody out, but I find when people talk about Proverbs, they tend to treat its contents like the Bible's answer to the fortune cookie. You pick a short and to the point observation here and then you apply it to your life in that given moment. Stick it on the mirror, on the fridge, on your dashboard, in your car, slip it under your kid's door, subtle little hint, 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 right? But if you read this book as a whole, what you discover is gaining wisdom is not about cracking a code. Gaining wisdom is not about attaining a formula, Gaining wisdom is not about unlocking a secret. And many of us quote Proverbs to each other like we're giving people codes and formulas and secrets. Gaining wisdom is not about any of those things. Isolating some verses and generalizing a proverb into a rule or a law is missing the whole point of this book. Because the book of Proverbs is not law, it's wisdom. In fact, if you read Proverbs carefully, rather than just pick and choose, you're going to notice that many of these Proverbs seemingly contradict each other. Let me give you a quick example of what I'm talking about Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 26, here's verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Proverbs 26, verse 5, right after that verse Answer a fool! according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What? (laughs) Huh? Which is it? Taken individually, these verses contradict each other. One tells us to answer, fools. The other tells us not to. And yet these two proverbs are placed side by side right next to each other. That's not a coincidence. The person who compiled this wasn't having a bad day. They're intentionally put next to each other so that the author can make clear in this moment, but in the book overall, that a general rule is not being stated in either case. The point is this. Sometimes it's necessary to answer fools to keep them from thinking themselves wise. But sometimes it's necessary not to answer fools to guard yourself. The wise person learns to distinguish one case from the other. See? The book of Proverbs are meant to be taken together. They're meant to be read as a whole so that they clarify and temper each other, not giving us rules, but rather teaching and illustrating insights for living. But to push it just even a little bit further, the book of Proverbs is not, with that, still just a grab bag of wise sayings. Remember the core verse that we're given, What the theme verse of this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the source of wisdom. And the cool thing about that verse that I told you gets repeated throughout this book is from our side of reading it, looking back, we have, a, we have, we have come to understand something important that enlivens that verse, something game-changing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the source of wisdom. What do we know? We know that that word has become flesh the revelation of God, our recognition and respect for who God is has come down to us in Jesus Christ. We have looked wisdom in the eyes. And this is an overlooked and often underappreciated fact of the incarnation. When we celebrate God in the flesh, and it's this, all divine wisdom, do you realize this? All divine wisdom has been made manifest in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ Is the wisest person who ever lived. You ask that people, Solomon. Nope, not Solomon, Jesus. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. Our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Paul goes on when he writes to the Colossians. He says, Jesus Christ is the revelation of the mystery of God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, what we can understand looking back, reading this amazing book, what Solomon couldn't see, but we can understand, is the central thread that binds all these seemingly random snapshots of everyday life together is Christ, the life and witness of Jesus. Do you see? We come back to something I love to talk about. The salvation we receive from Jesus isn't just about the blessing of eternal security. Amen, hallelujah, it's about that, but it's not just about the blessing of eternal security. The salvation we receive from Jesus Christ also encompasses the gift of true divine wisdom in our lives. We love to quote this verse, but perhaps you'll hear it differently this morning. When Jesus asserts he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is not just giving us a roadmap for being in heaven after death. When Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is expressing an invitation into wisdom, to learning how to truly and fully live, to experience life as God intended, kingdom life here and now. Are you receiving not just salvation? When I'm dead, I know I'm going to heaven. Are you receiving wisdom from Jesus? Have you ever thought about your relationship in that way? Are you receiving wisdom from Jesus Christ in your life? Lots of us were told, many of us have been raised, that the choice we make for Christ is a one-time decision for salvation, for the assurance that we'll be in heaven when we die. But my friends, life on earth matters too. After all, Jesus himself teach us to pray for life on earth as it is in heaven? You sit here today, hear this. If you are in Christ, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. If you are in Christ, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. The full treasury of the wisdom of God is available to you. Direction and guidance for your life. Your calling, your relationships, your responsibilities, your hopes and your dreams. It is all in your grasp. But attaining such wisdom means following Jesus, listening to Christ, submitting to the Lord's discipline and correction. And that choice to follow Jesus, that choice to pursue wisdom, by the grace of God, that's a choice we don't just make one time. That's a choice we have to make every day of our lives. I brought up Solomon who wrote this book and And I bring him up again because to just underscore this, Solomon's life tragically demonstrates the truth of what I just said. Because Solomon, as we talked about, started strong, right? He asked for the right thing. He asked for wisdom. But don't miss the point. Solomon's life tragically demonstrates just because we are given wisdom doesn't mean we always end up acting wisely. You've given your life to Christ. Good for you. Are you following Christ with your life? Are you looking to Jesus? Beloved, it's time to stop fooling around. And it's time to wise up. In a day and age, and we live in a day and age where information abounds, we can get information on anything we want, but we live in a day and age when wisdom is scarce, where wisdom can almost seem mystical, The book of Proverbs is needed. The book of Proverbs is a gift because it presents an earthly, practical picture of a God who has both perfect wisdom and endless generosity in revealing such insight to us. Even more than this, the good news that brings us together is that we have Jesus. The gospel is the wisdom of God taking hold of us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, not merely to give us eternal life someday. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. He reigns there to lead us into the wisdom of abundant living, of thriving, not just surviving, thriving today. Today. And to live such a life, we don't need to pursue wisdom. You don't need to go look and find it. We just need to follow Jesus. We just need to put Jesus first in our lives. We just need to keep our eyes on the very person who's right in front of us. We just need to keep Jesus front and center in our thoughts and actions, listening, learning, and submitting to Christ in everything we say and do. My friends, through the leading of the Spirit, you and I, we can stop playing the fool. We can put on the mind of Christ. We can live out the heart of our Father And we can discern all truth by the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.